This is Great Dane Nation, presented by Vegas Insider. I'm your host, Morton Anderson. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, the thankful, grateful, and most appreciative co-host, Tommy Freezebox. Tommy, how you doing? What's going on, Morton? Hey, you know, it's Thanksgiving week, so I try and be as close to a pilgrim as possible. Uh, very thankful, ready to eat some turkey on Thursday, ready to eat some stuffing. You have the beard for it. Got the pilgrim beard. It's more cleaned up than it normally is because I was going to see some family, so can't go in there looking homeless. No, you can't, but no. I was going to ask you, how do you look in burlap? <laughs> you know, I haven't really delved into the burlap realm too much. <laughs> I think what they wore back then was kind of a burlap type material. Okay. Uh, brown, you know, kind of a cape thing. Yeah. I definitely uh, run a little too hot for burlap. I'm just <laughs> going to put that out there. <laughs> All right. Burlap is out. Burlap's out. We're keeping it sweats. We're keeping it sweatpants. We're about to eat a bunch of food, right? Like I need the flexibility here. How do you feel about sitting at the Thanksgiving table in silk pajamas? You know, that's something I could get behind. I personally don't own any silk pajamas, but... Maybe if Santa's listening, he can bring me some for Christmas. <laughs> You're already skipping ahead to Christmas. Now, 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 Freeze. It's Thanksgiving. There's nothing more American than skipping ahead to Christmas, Martin. <laughs> well, this week on the podcast, we have a great conversation with one of the great winners of the 1990s, Mark Schlereth of Fox Sports. Then I'll be joined by Kevin Rogers from VegasInsider.com to talk about this week's slate of action. And as always, we'll close things out with your weekly game winner, a Thanksgiving edition of the game winner. So we got a lot of great stuff planned for you. But Morton, it's Thanksgiving week, as we've talked about. Two questions I have for you. One, does Denmark have a version of Thanksgiving that they celebrate annually? And two, <laughs> maybe that's a dumb question. Uh, and- no, not maybe. <laughs> you know what we're rolling with it and our, my second question is how many times did you play on thanksgiving in your 25 year career and did you enjoy playing on thanksgiving the floor is yours <laughs> all right you know denmark is east of the united states the pilgrims came from plymouth england yeah. uh, and i believe in direction due west or some direction that you know west northwest i'm not really sure westish westish and they landed on the tip of Cape Cod and were met and greeted there. And, and that's where we have Thanksgiving. Did not go east. Sorry. We, uh, now, Denmark is like a lot of other European co- countries. They will pick up on the American traditions because let's face it, America is trendsetting. What America does, the rest of the world tends to follow. I point to Hollywood, the film industry, fashion, etc. So I do have friends in Denmark that will celebrate Thanksgiving, I think for just the pure joy of being able to eat a big turkey and the stuffing and all the goodies that comes with it. So silly question. I know you were trying to set me up a little bit there, but uh, Denmark now doesn't have an official Thanksgiving week, but I think there are groups, there are enclaves, there are pockets of Thanksgiving lovers because it's, let's face it, it is the greatest American holiday ever. It's awesome. Um, I did play... A game on Thanksgiving. It's been a while. I did not care for it. I believe it was a night game. It was just when they were starting to have the three games. 
on the day because you know Detroit plays the first game always Dallas plays the second game and then you had a night game I didn't enjoy that it kind of broke the rhythm I don't want to say it ruined Thanksgiving but you really didn't have your pregame meal was you're not going to eat like stuffing and gravy and potatoes for your pregame meal just didn't make any sense you're about to go out and play a game for three hours so you're not going to want all that food like bouncing around in your belly so now that I'm retired, I'm I'm so excited just to have the long version, if you will, of Thanksgiving. So I totally embrace it now. Yeah, and you guys all generally hate Thursday night football anyways, right? So I feel like Thanksgiving has to be the worst version of Thursday night football. Yeah, to me, you know, football is supposed to be played Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern. Or if you're lucky enough and good enough on Monday night football, that's it. Get rid of all the fancy stuff. Yeah, you know, that's uh, prime time only, please. That's right. All right, let's get to that conversation with Mark Schlereth. As I always say, Tommy, let's kick it. My guest today has many aliases. Uh, Rock Hoover. Yes. Stink. But his birth name, of course, is Mark Frederick Schlereck. And I'm happy to have him on the show on Great Dane Nation. Mark, thanks for spending a few minutes with me, and I hope you're well. Yeah, I, I don't mean to correct you right off the bat. My first name is Mark. It's not Mark Frederick Schlereth. My whole name is Mark Frederick Schlereth. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. You said my first name. My first name is just Mark. I don't say, hey, I'm with Morton Anderson. His first name is Morton Anderson. No, it's just Mark. I, I thought I said birth name. Oh, did, oh, maybe you did say birth name. Well, that, we'll go back on tape. Tape never lies. Okay, good. it's all good. How are you, my friend? It's always good to be with you. Yeah, I'm great. And so for a guy growing up in Alaska, you're my first guest from Alaska. Tell me about your life up there, your early life in Anchorage, Alaska. You were born there. And uh, how does a guy from Alaska, obviously, through Idaho, end up playing for two franchises, three Super Bowls, 12 years, two Pro Bowls. What an American dream. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny, Morton. I, I don't know your whole story, but for me, I, I fell in love with the NFL as a kid, probably, uh, you know, 10, 11 years old. I started watching NFL football. And of course, at that time, the Steelers were, you know, a team that was winning championships. And when you grow up in Alaska, the morning game was the AFC game and you got the Steelers in the morning and then you got the Cowboys in the afternoon. And so I would get up early and I would watch, you know, it's funny when school, when you had to get up for school, like you can't drag me out of bed, right, to get up for school. I mean, I'm too tired or if it was Sunday school, I'm too, I'm exhausted. I got to sleep in, right? But if it was for NFL football, man, I'm getting up. And so we'd watch the Steelers in the morning, then we'd usually head to church. And and so the Cowboys were the afternoon game. Well, you only have so much sun in Alaska in the wintertime. As soon as you got home for church, you wanted to go out and play in the snow and do whatever it is you did. So I'd watch the Steelers in the morning, and then um, we'd roll to church. And then in the afternoon, I'd play for whatever sunlight I had left for a couple hours outside. And so that's kind of growing up in Alaska in the summertime is just absolutely gorgeous in Alaska. And, you know, you get 19, 20 hours of, of daylight in the summertime. So you're outside playing all the time. But um, I loved professional football. I loved the Pittsburgh Steelers. So from the time I was 12, I kind of just decided that's what I want to do. I want to be a professional football player. And I was too naive to realize that coming from Alaska and 
you know, playing six high school football games a season that I was too naive to think that I wouldn't make it. And so, you know, stupidity really has served me well. I'm, I am the mayor of Simpleton and and I was just like, that's what I'm going to do. And so I just went about finding a course to figure out a way to get that done. Um, and the rest is kind of history. It wasn't without its bumps and bruises. And uh, I was actually retired as a junior in college because of injuries. But uh, I just kind of persevered through all those things and uh, and got to live out that childhood dream. So what a blessing. And Dennis Erickson finds you. He's at the University of Idaho. How do how do you end up going to, I mean, you had a, a chance to go to Hawaii as well, I think. And Right. You decide yeah. to go to Idaho. Why? Why did you make that move? Two things. I had I had two scholarship offers. Both of the schools that offered me a scholarship came up to Alaska to run a football camp, and so that's that's literally how I got kind of recognized or noticed. My big thing going to Idaho was really the fact that I looked at Hawaii and didn't know if I could compete. I didn't know if I could play at the University of Hawaii. I looked at Idaho and thought there's no question that I can compete at the University of Idaho. The other thing was, is I got offered a lot of walk-ons at Pac-10 schools at the time, but I was like, you know, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State. But I thought to myself, I'm going to go walk on and I'm going to ride the pine for three years and maybe never really get to play. And, I, you know, I always think from a football standpoint, the best thing you can do is get reps. You can play. And so I went to Idaho and, you know, I came in as a center I ran so well and jumped so well and did all those things. They moved me to defense, so I played defense for three years. I actually was retired because of injuries. Came back my last year to play offense again. And, you know, I look back on my career that way. When I got into the NFL, I was so much better an offensive player having played defense all those years because I understood the principles and the leverage principles and the gap assignment stuff. And um, I just understood that stuff. So it really helped me become a much better offensive player, having played defense at that level uh, for three years at the University of Idaho. Very interesting you say that because I've had 10 guests on the last couple of months. You know, we have a guest every week and bar everybody without exception. That's the theme, you know, the versatility, the fact that you've played multiple positions, the perspective from from having done that. It's it's a recurring theme from all these guys that, you know, are really good athletes is that that helped them. And it must have helped you in your next career. Obviously, you're uh, announcing you're an analyst for Fox. And I mean, it must help you there as well to try to eloquently explain to the sports fans out there, you know, the X's and O's of a play and, and maybe some inside knowledge on this is why this happens, you know, to dissect the play and to analyze and to put it into common language. It is. It's such a challenge. You know, I spent 16 years at ESPN doing it in studio. And in studio, you know, you have, you'll find a play, you'll look at it, you'll look at it six, seven times, you'll break it down, and then you'll talk to a producer and say, hey, man, I like this play. Let's uh, let's dress it up this way, you know. And at the end of the day, you're, you're breaking down one play for a studio show, or maybe during the course of any show, you might have three or four things, you know, that you tell the straight, that you break down. And, you know, you're spending hours, you know, doing that. You know, you're spending two, three hours getting those four plays together. In a television broadcast, you have to see it right now and you have to say, this is something about it. You know, you, you've got to be a great editor of what you talk about. you got to pick one thing and you've got to be concise and you've got to see it within 10 seconds, seven seconds of the play. And then you've got 18 seconds to eloquently present it to the viewing audience before we move on. And, it, 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 you know, it, it really makes it hard. You know, Morton, I don't, I don't play any instruments. I have no musical talent at all. But people always ask me, like, what's it like to call a game? And I always say, I think it would be a lot like playing the accordion. Now, I've never played the accordion. I don't know the first thing about playing the accordion. 
but I know you squeeze it in and you pull it out, right? It's just <laughs> you know, yeah. you're back. I've seen that, right? That's yeah. all I know about it. But you know, you get into a real myopic point about football in general, and you kind of squeeze in and you talk about it very specifically, and then you extend out and you talk about the game globally. And it's this constant music that you're making of concise, global, in, out. And that's doing an NFL broadcast. And it's not just looking back at what happened, but it's also talking about what should be happening, how you adjust what you're doing, you know, how you attack. And I find it incredibly fascinating. It's unbelievably difficult. It's incredibly fun. I try to bring my own flair and my own entertainment because, like I said, I got into this business to purely to entertain myself. And so I think I'm freaking hilarious. And so, you know, I mean, I, I constantly entertain myself in the booth. And I, I always look at it like, if you don't like it, that's your problem. I'm having a great time. So, you know, you can come along with me and have a great time or you can be pissed off about it. I don't really care. Uh, but but it's been it's been a really cool experience. And I guarantee you there's nobody that works harder than me at understanding the game, at knowing the game, at studying the game. By the time I will be at the game in the booth on Sunday, I'll have put a solid 50 hours of prep into that game. And that shows. It shows, Mark. I appreciate it, it. It really does. I mean, you're you're eloquent and you're well prepared. And, uh, you know, you and I haven't spent a lot of time, but I've always respected you from afar, not only as a player, you played 12 years, but what you've done. I see you as a little bit of a renaissance man. Take me through Washington a little bit, because you, you get there in 89. And you've had a great time with Dennis Erickson. I assume your relationship with him was good. Yeah, we're tight. We're really good friends. Yes. And he was very creative. I mean, he won a couple of national championships in Miami, and, and everybody knows about that. And he was really an offensive, creative mind, in my opinion. So you go and you become part of the second wave of the Hawks. You know, you have Jacoby and you have Bostic and all those guys. And also a legendary coach in Joe Gibbs and a legendary offensive coach in Joe Bugle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, interestingly enough, um, it started at Idaho. You mentioned Dennis Erickson. Um you know, we were progressive, one back, 11 personnel, free wide receivers offense when I was in college. So unbeknownst to me, I did not realize how beneficial that would be in my career. Because although we could run the ball and we did run the ball out of pretty much primarily one back, we threw the snot out of the ball. We had the, you know, we had the short series. We had the five-step series. We had the seven-step, the three-step series. And we threw the heck out of it. We probably threw 70% of the time. So I walked into the NFL as a pretty efficient pass protector. I was pretty good at pass protection. And, you know, most guys that don't make it in the NFL don't pass protect well. And that's the biggest issue. Like you're protecting now, especially now, you're protecting a $100 million asset that is the quarterback. You damn well better know how to protect the passer. If you can't, you don't get to play anymore. And so it really has shifted um, and the league has shifted that way from shotgun and throwing it 65% of the time or so. So that's kind of how the NFL worked. Well, I was on the forefront of that because of playing for Dennis Erickson. So pass protection was a real strong suit when I got to, to Washington. And then, you know, just, just the level of understanding, the mentorship I got from Bostic and Jacoby and Russ Grimm on how to play the game. It was really next level education about just fronts and defensive personnel and what people are trying to do. As a matter of fact, I had Russ Graham ask me once. I came off the football field, and I, I didn't even remember what the scenario was. But Russ asked me, he goes, okay, well, where was the where was the umpire? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, where were we lined up? 
I don't know. I umpire lined up. He goes, dude, you got to look for the umpire. Where is he lined up? If he's outside shade of you, you're on the opposite side of the opposite hash. He goes, you can yank guys down with your inside hand. If he's out, if he's inside, you know, then you can yank a guy down with your outside hand. Like you got to know how to hold people. Like you've got to understand. <laughs> That's good. Right. And I was just like, I was like revolutionary. You know? Yeah. Never thought of it that way. I became an expert at holding. Um, <laughs> and you have to be like, it, you have to like oh, late in my career. When I went to Denver, Morton, you know, I was so beat up. I had 29 surgeries. I had 20 knee surgeries. I'm so, I'm just beat to a pulp. And mm-hmm. I used to go right to the ump and I would tell him right off the bat, you know, they, but the guys think what's up. And I go, Hey, listen, man, these guys are bigger, faster, stronger, and younger than me. And I go, I will absolutely undress this guy, but I guarantee you I have the best hands in the game. My hands will be inside. I will take his jersey off. I go, if you flag me for that, we're going to fight because you cannot flag me for that. Oh, you're sowing the seed. I love it. And they would be just like, uh, they'd laugh. Like, I go, I'm serious. Like this guy, if you don't let me hold him, like legally hold him, this guy's going to whip my ass. So you have got to let me, as long as I have my hands tight inside. And, you know, and I was literally, that was probably one of the best parts of my game. I was a surgeon with my hands. I mean, they're just powerful and I could strike guys and I would hold the absolute piss out of you. So, I mean, I would say, like you said, I would sow the seed early. I talk to the officials early and say, this is the way this is going to go. That's a brilliant move, actually, to get that in that little bug in his ear. Right. I did it with guys that stood under the goalpost, a whole different thing. Pre-game, I'd go up to him and say, listen, I kick a very high ball. Sometimes it'll be over the extension of the uprights. I just want you to know that ball's high. So if there's a judgment call, it's always going to, I'm going to shade to the inside. So you need to call it good. Yes. And, the ball. and <laughs> they're looking at me like, what the hell? So in a different way, the same yeah. thing. And that's something you picked up from Rush Grimm on the arm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and, and the guys that played, you know, the Hogs and, and Bugle, I mean, we talked about the – like, this is the big thing, and this is part of what's been lost in the NFL today, not to, you know, harken back to our time and say, wow, it was different. And it was. It was different. It was, you know, it was unique and all those things. But, yeah, I've had the opportunity to consult uh, and do some things for several different teams. And really why they bring me in to consult is is more about the nuance of the game. Like part of the issue is that, you know, the practices are limited and all that. You lose some of the nuance, like the stuff that Russ Grimm taught me, the stuff that Bostic and Joe Jacoby taught me about the game. You lose that nuance because you're not out there practicing it. You're not out there working on it. And so guys lose a little bit of that. So a lot of times you start to come into teams and teams will – sit you down and say, okay, tell me about our technique and what we're doing here. What do you like? What do you dislike? How would you change it? What would you do? You know, and it, it becomes very fascinating because some of that, like I said, some of that nuance that you only get through playing and through practicing and through discovering new things, you just don't have the same amount of time that you used to have. I got drafted in April and I did not leave. I lived in a hotel, put me up in a hotel. We practiced four days a week, every day until July. And then I got to go home to Alaska for two weeks, get back on a plane and come to camp. And we were in camp for five weeks. My first week, Joe Gibbs didn't bring in the vets. So my first week, more we were double days on, on Monday. And this is when double days were we beat the crap out of one another, right? So double days on Monday, double days on Tuesday, double days on Wednesday. It was a scrimmage against the Steelers in Latrobe, two scrimmages against the Steelers, double day on Thursday, double day on Friday, double day on Saturday, two scrimmages against the Steelers. Now, wait, I was the only center in camp. <laughs> every play, every offensive play, 
of every practice for that entire week. So like at the end of that week, man, not only was I, I was so happy the veterans came in because the lines got longer, but I was beat up. But I learned so much about playing football by playing football. And that's something that doesn't happen as much today. You don't have the time and you don't have the reps, as you say. And uh, also playing different positions on the line helped you, I think, right? And then had to give you tremendous street cred, if you will, when the Hawks came in a week later and they'd seen, okay, this guy's been in there grinding, you know, he's, he's up to speed. We can count on him because they were all about I, – I know Jacoby really well. I know Russ and I know mm-hmm. Austin. And those guys are big on accountability and taking care of stuff. If it was a problem, they would handle it internally before it became a problem. Yeah, there's no question. And, and the other thing is is that they were – those guys are the backbone of, of the skins at that time. Russ Grimm was in charge of that football team. There, there's no question who ran the show. It was the Hogs. I mean, that was it. The buck stopped there. If there was something going on – those are the guys that took care of it and said, this is the way it's going to be. And if you guys have problems with it, you can come to us. Yeah, I think Washington can use those guys right now. What's going on with the team, in your opinion? I mean, you follow it very closely, obviously. And uh, they haven't gotten it right for a while now. And yeah. it, I guess it starts at the quarterback position and, and goes from there. Well, yeah, I, I would I'd even go higher. I mean, one thing about... You know, one thing about being on quality teams, and you played on some really good teams, and you know, and I was fortunate to play on really good teams. It's, it's the sacrifice that we're all willing to make for one another. You know, it's not about our own individual accolades. Uh, you know, it, it's about team. That's really what what sets it apart. And you know, and I was always that way at the University of Idaho. I got that coaching, and I got that. That was part of what we were. And, and at Washington, no question, under Joe Gibbs. It's just the way that way it worked. But I think one of the big things with organizations is, you know, it's one thing to appoint a head coach. It's another thing to empower a head coach. I was fortunate and blessed in my time in Washington to have head coaches that were completely in charge, completely empowered to run the organization where the owners didn't step in and muddle it up. And so there was always a hierarchy of authority and you knew where the lines were. And, and you understood what was required of you. And I love Joe Gibbs. And Joe Gibbs is one of the most regal men I've ever been around. And I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. I also knew that Joe Gibbs would fire me in an instant if I couldn't get my job done. And the same thing went for Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan is a great, you know, it's funny because you go from this player-coach kind of relationship to coach-media-guy relationship to just a relationship. And Mike has become, Mike Shannon has become a great mentor. And like I'm over at his house watching film and he's taking me through concepts and uh, what we're trying to do as an offense. Because I'm trying to learn, you know, you always watch the game kind of through through the lens with which you play. You know, so I tend to, you know, get very myopic in my focus on, on line of scrimmage play. And I try to open up my aperture to see the entirety of the game. So I'm trying to learn about quarterbacks, quarterback drops, what footwork ties to what route combinations and what you're trying to look at and how you attack a coverage and all this kind of stuff, you know, and the receivers, how you adjust your routes. And and so I'm in this constant state of learning. I, I, lear- I have learned more in the last 18 months about football than I learned in my first, you know, 12 years of playing it and 16 years of being an analyst. That's all fine and good that you can prepare, but then Mahomes or Drew Locke, they decide to take the ball and run it, and now we got to make sense of that because, listen, one thing is to prepare for the scheme and the tape that's in front of you. Another thing is to prepare for the player and the ability of that player to be different than anything we've ever seen, really. 
you prepare for the scheme and you work on all those things and you do all those. But there are those guys that play above the X's and O's. No matter how good you schemed it and no matter how well you've executed the scheme, there are certain guys that are just better than you. You know, it's like uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. Uh, what, what was uh, – oh, gosh, I've, I've lost it. Um, oh, Dodgeball was the movie I was thinking of uh, where, where Ben Stiller, Jim O'Reilly goes, hey, we're better than you, and we know it. You know, I mean, that's like – that's uh, that is to me – kind of the epitome of like you talked about Mahomes and the, the way it works. I mean, some guys are just so damn gifted. Like everybody's a freak show that plays like every, every guy that makes it has been touched by the hand of God and has unbelievable toughness, mental toughness, all that stuff. But there are some guys that go, okay, here's the standard. And then there's this guy, you know, he's just so far up. You see DeAndre Hopkins the other day with the Hail Mary from Kyler Murray, and you say, who can make that play? There's maybe two or three guys in the league that can make that play, can make the throw, and can make the catch because otherworldly, you know, ability to throw the ball, number one, get out of trouble and have time and the strength to throw the ball, and then to go up in triple coverage and go in with strong hands and, and go get that thing. I mean, unbelievable. Is that right? Uh, Kyler Murray escapes to the left, almost gets sacked, now you got to twist your whole body around because he's a right-handed quarterback. Running yeah. It's the sideline. Just, I mean, it's just whoop, 50 yards. Like at the It's flip. a flick. Right. You know? Three guys surrounding DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. Have you ever seen DeAndre Hopkins' hand, by the way? Dude, I put my hand, you know, and I played offensive line. I put my hand up against his. My hand, like that's how much longer his fingers were than mine. I mean, it's unreal how big and strong, and he's a slender guy. The guy is immensely talented. He's got an unbelievable catch rate. He's so much fun to watch. Talk to me about Drew Luck. I mean, he's he's a talented guy in Denver. That was your second stint in the in the NFL. You leave Washington, you go and you spend some time with an unbelievable crew of all pros and Hall of Famers there. Of course, led by John Elway, Terrell Davis. So you can start there, or you, we can we can start with Drew Luck because that's the next generation. Did Elway get it right with this guy? Well, I mean, it's still very early, you know, and we've gotten in a point, and, and obviously with Elway and those guys, I mean, again, very fortunate. We put a great run together in Denver under Mike Shanahan. It was great. Gary Zimmerman, another Hall of Famer on that squad. So a lot of great players during that time. As far as Drew Locke is concerned, I mean, here's the problem with today's NFL is, and, and you know, I talked to the Players Association years ago about this last collective bargaining agreement in 2011, the one before this last one. And they were really excited about the, uh, you know, the rookie wage scale. And I'm like, the rookie wage scale is don't do that. Like, that's terrible. And really what's happened. And, and the reason I said that is they're like, well, we don't want these rookies to come in as first rounders and get $70 million like Sam Bradford, you know, and the veterans not to get that money. And I go, you know, it reminds me of this bar I used to go to in Anchorage, Alaska called Chilkoot Charlie's. And the motto of Chilkoot Charlie's was we cheat the other guy and pass the savings on to you. And I'm like, if you think the owners are going to save money on the rookies and pass them along to the veterans, you guys are high. That ain't happening. If they save money on the rookies, you know what they're going to do? They're going to pocket the money they save because that's how they got to be billionaires, right? So don't fall for the banana and the tailpipe. Anyhow, so one of the things that's happened is that now you can overdraft a quarterback, right? You can take a guy that should have been drafted in the third round and you can draft him in the first round. And if that guy doesn't pan out, it doesn't matter. You can pay for that guy's salary with the money you find in the couch cushions of the owner's office. It really is not that big a deal. Where it used to really hamstring you, now everybody goes after these quarterbacks. And so, 
you know, when a quarterback doesn't pan out in the first round, you scrap on him and you move on. And it makes it easier just to get rid of a guy and go for the next guy and keep kicking the can down the road without actually really developing that guy. So right now here in Denver, I live in Denver, you know, I mean, the majority of people are ready to scrap pile Drew Locke and say he's just no good. Now, think about this. The guy played at Missouri. At Missouri, in four years, he had four different offensive coordinators. Then he comes to Denver. And now in Denver, he's in year two with two different offensive coordinators. So he's had six offenses in six years. He's mechanically, he's not sound because he's always been allowed to be a gunslinger. He's always been allowed to have sloppy mechanics. He's always played out of the shotgun. And, you know, when you play out of the shotgun, your footwork is the timing mechanism to throwing the ball. It's the timing mechanism of all your route combinations. There's a route combination that goes with a three-step drop. There's route combinations that go with a five-step drop. There's a route combination that goes with a five-step drop and a hitch. There's a route combination that goes with seven-step drops, right? You know, and, and all of it times up and syncs up with the route that you're going to throw. Well, the, what happens to, to shotgun quarterbacks is their feet are never in sync with the routes. And when you play in college, what happens a lot is you're throwing an individual route. So there's only one guy that you're ever looking at. And so you tend to get really lazy mechanically. And when you look at Drew Locke and his feet and the way he throws the football, he just has really sloppy, lazy feet. And, you know, I know that he works at it. I know they have him working at it. But you know this, when your default mechanism has always been, I'm a gunslinger and I can just throw it from any platform I want because I'm more talented than you, then you get in the NFL and guess what? You're not more talented than everybody else, right? And the window closes quickly, man, in, in the coverages. And Right, exactly. I mean, you see, I think it's fascinating with what you did for a living because they try to make me a snapper or a short, I, I short snapped occasionally and I was horrible. And the mechanism of kicking, is incredible to me when I've got a snapper that can spin it to my holder to where he catches it with the laces out 100% of the time. Eight yards, eight rotations. Right. Yes, 100%. And then you watch the whole timing of that. And if anything's even slightly off, all of a sudden you become a horrible kicker. <laughs> like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Correct. Right? That was, it's off. And it's, it's such a delicate procedure that nobody really understands. No, it's 1.2 seconds of absolute terror. Not terror, but it's if those 1.2 seconds from snap to kick are not executed with perfection, everybody does their job, and there's three guys must do their job, and then there's eight other guys that got to protect. You know, can't touch the center anymore, the snapper anymore, but they got to just inside out. Don't let the A and B gaps. Don't be vulnerable there. We're going to have a kick. But it's the same it, from, you know, from the standpoint of timing between a quarterback and the receivers or the tight end or a back out of the backfield. If that it, you're right, if it's sloppy, right? Yeah. E everything's compromised. Right. And, and the problem is, is when you've always been able to overcome bad technique because of you, you've got that much talent. You know, the, the difference between the good player and the great player in the NFL is razor thin athletically. You know, really, it truly is about how quick you react. It's really about your neck up, how fast you can take information in your eyes and say, that's what I'm going to do, bam, and just do it. Those guys last a long time and can play for a long time. And the difference between the third man on your roster and the 53rd man on your roster is razor thin. It's razor thin. The I think the, the ability to midstream adjust, the special ops guys who are not normal soldiers have a distinct difference that makes them special ops soldiers besides they're highly trained. 
They have independent thought. Right. And as a football player, independent thought and being able to midstream adjust is so important because the play you have drawn up is not necessarily the play that's going to get executed because a lot of moving parts. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I always say, I always give it this 30, this, I call it 70, 30 rule, you know, 70% of the time as, as an offensive player, we're on schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, 30% of the time we're not. How do you adjust in those off schedule? Are those off schedule plays, you know, zero yards or a completion or whatever, or are they catastrophic? You know, are they catastrophic? Okay. You know, those things that put you behind the chains or create turnovers. And how do you operate? Like, I always think if I operate efficiently in the 70% range, then we're going to be able to overcome whatever happens in the 30% because some of those things will be good. Some of those things will be bad. But if we operate efficiently, we're going to be in a pretty decent offense. And the teams that can't operate in that 70% realm very efficiently, um, you know, are going to get, you know, they'll have some big plays in the 30% realm, but most of the time that they're going to have bad plays go against them. There's great detail in our game. It's so specialized now, and and there's so much detail. Unless you delve into it and unless you spend, like you said, 50 hours to call a game of 60 minutes, mm-hmm. you're just not going to probably feel real comfortable about it because it's you got to earn the right. Like, any, like you do on the field, you got to earn the right there too. Let me wrap it up with you, Mark. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Uh, birth name, Mark Frederick Schlereth. I okay. think the tape we'll see. We'll yes. go back to tape. We'll go back. I just I thought you said first name, but you're I right. Have, I might have been nervous and said that, but you know, I, I don't get that. You can't ice ice, baby. You know how that goes. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Rock Hoover, guiding light. You came up with the name. Just tell me briefly about yeah. your adventure into daytime television. Daytime soap opera. Yeah, you know, I got a I when I was working for ESPN, I got a, a email from the casting director or the assistant casting director of Guiding Light. And it was so funny because I was reading in the newsroom and I thought I was getting punked. Um, you know, I was younger at the time. And uh, they said, you know, we we really like your television presence and we think you have a, and I'll quote this air quote, a soap opera look. So we'd like you to be on the show. And I'm like, I instantly closed the email, like looked around the newsroom. I was like, I'm not going to respond to that because you know that somebody's punking me, right? <laughs> so... I waited till I went home to the or went back to the hotel that night, and then I opened up my computer and and emailed it back. And so we started this dialogue, and and I went and auditioned, and then I had a, a two year run, um, recurring role on on the Guiding Light as Detective Rock Hoover. I nicknamed myself, by the way, on Mike and Mike, and it was a it was a blast. Um, you know, I'd always I'd always kind of roll into the soap opera. I, I never watched it, so I had no idea contextually what was going on ever you know so i'm rolling in it doesn't make any sense to me um give me a line can you give you remember a line a good like one of what was your go-to line did you have like a you know like i i was horrible at memorizing lines i still am i just talk you know so it was just one of those things that i was i was terrible it was funny i always joke around that that soap opera started it started on radio and had a, a 22-year run on radio before it moved over to television. It had a 50-year run on television. So 72 years that thing was on air. It took me two years to get it canceled. Um, that's how good an actor I <laughs> Two years I got that thing canceled. So, sorry. Maybe that's how you got your nickname, Stink. Yeah, yeah. Well, how, did, how did you get your nickname, Stink? Uh, comes from rotten fish heads in Alaska. My sister taught an Eskimo village called Akiachuk, Alaska, um, right on the Cusquim River. And the first run of salmon during the uh, during summer season 
um, the native people would dipmet the river, the Cusquim, pull the salmon out. They cut off their heads, clean the fish in the river, and then they would keep the heads. They'd bury them in this big pit they would dig, and then they would unbury unbury them, and they would eat them. They're like fermented fish heads, rotten fish. <laughs> and they call them stink heads. And so I told that story when I was with the uh, Skins my rookie year, and instantly got dubbed stinkhead because I was from Alaska. And, um, you know, and it just became stink. So it just, that's, that's what happened. That's, it stuck that way. And you've continued that with the great brand. Uh, I love green chili, by the way. So oh, big. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll, so, have to, I'll have to send, I'm going to have to send some, I'll send out a care package here um, in the near future. Text me your address and I'll get you a care package of green or green chili. Yeah. The stink of good green chili. Spicy medium. Yeah. 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 We've got hot and we've got medium. And then, uh, got a very mild uh queso dip um and you know you kind of make it you don't make it like a lot of people complain oh yeah your hot isn't just hot enough you know it's enough to make you sweat but you know everybody has a little different taste but you can't make it so scorching hot because you'll never sell another tub of it so and you, you know, don't taste it you got to have a tasty product right i mean it's, yeah it's it's a product that we've done really well here in colorado and um in new mexico and arizona and some of the states that we're in check out mark on fox mark slareth on uh, fox sports doing the games every week speaking of which man i'm gonna jump i gotta shower and head to the airport thanks for your time i appreciate you mark always good to talk to you buddy take care all right freeze pops i need your help here i need i need you to go to the tape i need you to check the tape and then i need you to report back to me right now what were the results of the investigation when i started my conversation with mark schlere birth name or first name, please, the floor is yours. Morton, I spent a lot of time studying this tape, did some analysis, had many different ears on it, mm-hmm. and we came to the determination that you, in fact, said, birth name, yes. Mark Frederick Schlereth. Yes, <laughs> yes, because I got a little intimidated right off the top of the conversation with Mark and he he didn't interrupt me, but he corrected me right away. So I felt a little bit behind the eight ball right away. I'm normally a pretty confident guy. Yeah. But when somebody starts like to question whether I made such a elementary mistake, I couldn't believe that I would have done that, that I would have made a mistake like that. And now you have confirmed indeed that I am whole again. I can rest comfortably tonight knowing that I did not make a mistake, my name is not tarnished, nor is Mark Frederick Slareth's name tarnished, and we can move on happily and enjoy love and beauty forever and ever after. Amen. Amen. <laughs> wow. There we that, go. That took a whole different twist, man. It's, it turned into a sermon. <laughs> I love, you think... I wonder if I could be like a preacher. That takes a, a deep knowledge of the Bible, and um, I just don't have that. I think you have the gumption to be a preacher. The intonation? Totally. My fellow American. No, that's more politics. <laughs> no, that's politics. We'll definitely yeah, stick away from that. Just stay away from all of it. We have al- always said no politics, no religion. Especially at Thanksgiving. That's where fights happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do they ever. And making up. And the making up part's always fun. A few beers. Everyone forgets everything. That's right. 
Well, I know you were sober, Freeze Pops, uh, when you had your conversation with Kevin. But before we get to that, tell our listeners where they can find us on social media. You guys can find us on Twitter at Great Dane Nation. You can follow us on Instagram at Great Dane Nation VI. And I want to shout out the Kansas City Chiefs, the New Orleans Saints, and Michigan State football for throwing us some follows on social media. We're waiting for those other teams to come through for us, Martin. We're waiting on the Falcons. We're waiting on the Vikings. We're waiting on the Giants. Let's We're go. Lead it. Let's go. Let's go. Get in family here. We love you guys. Thank you so much for that, for the love. And uh, hey, man, just keep it going. We love it. Now let's get to my conversation with Kevin Rogers from Vegas Insider. VegasInsider.com is the global leader for sports gaming information, and it's your authority for the newest and best sports gambling podcasts. Each week, we're going to be joined by one of our Vegas Insider experts to make us a little smarter. And this week, we welcome back Vegas Insider expert and the host of the Bet and Collect podcast, Kevin Rogers. Kevin, happy Thanksgiving. Tom, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody listening. We made it this far. We got one month left in 2020, and hopefully 2021 is better, but at least we got to this point. Amen to that. And make sure you check out the latest from Kevin on VegasInsider.com. He's got podcasts. He's got picks. The man does it all. And you got to follow him on Twitter at VIRogers. And Kevin, with Thanksgiving upon us, I thought this would be an interesting angle to go with you. Through 11 weeks of the NFL football season, what thing are you most thankful for from a gambling perspective? It can be a player. It can be a team. It could be a trend that has served you well. Who are you giving thanks to at the dinner table this year? Seriously, no canceled games. And we've gotten this far. We've had a couple games moved around due to COVID issues earlier with the Titans uh, earlier in the season. But past that, we haven't lost a game yet this season. And thankfully, you know, college basketball is starting up this week and there's a lot of cancellations we've seen with college football. They've had their issues. But I've always said this, Tom, I'd rather have a broken season than no season. And unfortunately, things had to come to a halt back in March with everything. But the NBA came back. The NHL came back. They finished their seasons. Baseball had a shortened season and finished it. So I'm thankful that we've gotten to week 12 already. There's not been a lost game yet. And the NFL has still found a way without a bubble to get to this point. No, it's pretty remarkable when you think about it, because when baseball first got started up, remember, we had a bunch of stuff get canceled and moved around. And, you know, some teams ended up playing more games than others. And it was kind of a mess early. So people were anticipating football having the same problems. And lo and behold, it hasn't happened. And maybe that's because they only play once a week, so it's a little easier to manage. But I know I fully expected stuff to get moved around. I know you and I, before the season started, talked about contingency plans in case stuff got canceled. So that's a great call by you. And uh, I think it's the perfect answer. I'm going to give thanks to that as well. Well, I mean, you know what? I think the NFL thought, Tom, that they were bulletproof when it, back in April. Oh, it's fine. It's it's six months away or it's five months away. We're going to be OK. But it never went away. And, you know, the NFL has, you know, has to deal with the Titans and, and the situation they had, which has been the worst outbreak of any team. But since then, they have had any issues. And this week, Baltimore's had some issues with some COVID and they're not playing well. So that doesn't help their cause at all. But, uh, yeah, this is the first league – well, I mean, Major League Baseball didn't have a bubble, but uh, they had no fans in any of their games. But this is the first league to have 
fans and no bubble. And they've gotten to this point where, again, it's a little messy, but still they've gotten the games in, so it's good. Let's move on to a happier topic, Thanksgiving football. We've got Texans at Lions for our first game here. All of our quick picks are going to be the Thanksgiving slate. Detroit opened up as two-point favorites, but now that has swung the other way, and Houston is now a three-point favorite. The Lions have lost three straight games on Thanksgiving. Does Deshaun Watson make it four years in a row for Detroit with a loss? I don't think so. You you know, I think a lot of people are going to go into this game, Tom, and and I always say this about the NFL, that, you know, recency bias, that what we just saw, Texans beat the Patriots at home. Great, but the Patriots are down this year. The Patriots are coming off a big win over Baltimore the week before. And Detroit is off this ugly effort against Carolina. Carolina had their backup quarterback in with Teddy Bridgewater out, and the Lions put up a stinker on the road. And I think that was due for them because they were so good on the road before that. Now they're back at home, and a lot of people question why Detroit's playing on Thanksgiving every single year, but it always happens, so we just have to accept that. The Lions are dealing with some injuries on the offensive side, which you know obviously hurts them a bit. But I do think here that Detroit, after being so bad last week against Carolina, that they play better. And you're going to step up against Deshaun Watson, who is a very good quarterback. But fact of the matter is, two of the three wins for Houston have come against Jacksonville, who's, if it wasn't for the Jets, they'd be the worst team in football. So I just think that Detroit here is worth a look, getting them with a few points at home, going contrarian. But I just don't have enough faith in the Texans to put together two straight quality outings. Let's go to our second and final game of the Thanksgiving slate since Ravens at Steelers has been postponed to Sunday night. Andy Dalton and the Cowboys host their biggest rivals, the Washington football team. Dallas opened up as one-point favorites, and that number has gone up. They are now three-point favorites. Does the Red Rifle make it two straight wins for the Cowboys? I'm going to go with no. That I think that a lot of people are going to be on Dallas because of what they just saw last week. A really good win in Minnesota. And Minnesota was in a letdown spot after beating the Bears. They had won three straight. And you look at Washington. This team is, isn't is very good. All right. And they haven't won on the road yet this season. But I think they have a little bit of a spark at quarterback with Alex Smith. That after him coming back from that leg injury a few years ago, they thought Dwayne Haskins was the guy. And he's not. And then Kyle Allen came in. He got hurt. So now Alex Smith is back in. And he's just playing better than Andy Dalton is. And Dallas has the weapons around Andy Dalton that Washington doesn't have around Alex Smith. But yet Washington, they beat Cincinnati last week and Burrow got hurt, understandably. And before that, they played Detroit and they played the Giants and teams like that. But I I still think that this Washington team is still playing hard for Ron Rivera and they're playing hard for Alex Smith. They already beat Dallas pretty bad the first time they played when Andy Dalton was the quarterback. I'm just not sold on laying points with Dallas here. They're still a terrible ATS team. And the two covers they have came against Pittsburgh and Minnesota as a touchdown dog or more. So now you're laying points and everyone thinks that Dallas on Thanksgiving is a good bet. They got blasted by Buffalo at home last year on Thanksgiving. So I'm going to take Washington here with the points. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us again. And before I let you go, tell everyone what you're working on and where they can find it. The Bet and Collect podcast. we got a new one coming out on Thursday, looking ahead to week 12 in the NFL. Also, we have our videos on the Vegas Insider YouTube channel. We look ahead to the Sunday night game, Bears and Packers. Monday night, you'll be keeping an eye on this, Tom. Seahawks, Eagles. We'll see how many more interceptions Carson Wentz throws. And we also have some college football videos as well for Saturday SEC and for Friday college football. So we have all of that on our YouTube channel at Vegas Insider. So we are very busy this week.
And you got to check out their new Twitter feed, Bet and Collect on Twitter. Give them a follow at Bet and Collect. And remember to check out VegasInsider.com slash GDN for your free weekly pick for the NFL weekend. That's VegasInsider.com slash GDN. Kevin, have a great holiday, man. Tom, thank you. You too. And now, Morton Anderson's game winner. I'm grateful for the pilgrims, the Mayflower, and the Apenaki Native American who greeted those settlers upon landing at the tip of Cape Cod. The notion of giving thanks that followed set in motion one of the greatest American traditions ever. I love Thanksgiving and everything it stands for. During my playing days, it was a shorter version due to practices and games. As I retired from the NFL, I really saw and lived what Thanksgiving week is all about. It's a time for reflection and gratitude as we spend time with family and friends. This year, more than ever, I'm reminded that our interconnected world depends on everyone's vigilance, wisdom, and will. It will require some sacrifices for sure. The last 20 plus years, our family has been together for Thanksgiving week, enjoying the food, fun, football, and fellowship. The girls will gather in the kitchen and make the most delicious food imaginable, starting on Wednesday, and staying up most of the night, talking, cooking, and laughing. The guys will be in the basement watching sports and playing pool and ping pong. Eventually, after a few libations, there'll be an assembly of bodies and the singing of the annual Christmas song, When My Heart Finds Christmas by Harry Connick Jr. will commence and all is well. On Thanksgiving Thursday, we'll sit at one big table and before feasting, everyone will take their turn to express what they're thankful for. It's emotional, authentic, and powerful. It bonds us as a family and reminds us of how privileged and fortunate we are. I also think that it motivates us to be better humans and gives us perspective and a deeper sense of belonging. We take a family photo every year with Reed and Lorraine sitting up front and the rest of the gang gathered around them three generations and more to come. It's special and is done with intent. I think that is what I find most significant about our Thanksgiving. We gather willfully with the intent of sharing, loving, and remembering. This year will be different and it hurts. The house will be quieter, the banter and laughter more subdued, and the yearning for family and normalcy stronger. In times like this, I'm reminded that things can always be worse. I could have been a turkey. We'll see you next time. Great Dane Nation is presented by VegasInsider.com, the global leader in sports gaming information and your authority for the newest and best sports gambling podcasts. A big thanks to Mark Schlereth for joining us this week, and thanks to Kevin Rogers and the team at Vegas Insider. Remember to visit VegasInsider.com slash GDN for your free weekly pick for the NFL weekend. Great Dane Nation is available on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review today.